Section 4 of Waverley, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Waverley, or to Sixty Years Since, Volume 2, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 39. The Journey is Continued. Before Waverley awakened from his repose, the day was far advanced, and he began to feel that he had passed many hours without food. This was soon supplied in form of a copious breakfast, but Colonel Stuart, as if wishing to avoid the queries of his guest, did not again present himself. His compliments were, however, delivered by a servant, with an offer to provide anything in his power that could be useful to Captain Waverley on his journey, which he intimated would be continued that evening. To Waverley's further inquiries, the servant opposed the impenetrable barrier of real or affected ignorance and stupidity. He removed the table and provisions, and Waverley was again consigned to his own meditations. As he contemplated the strangeness of his fortune, which seemed to delight in placing him at the disposal of others, without the power of directing his own motions, Edward's eye suddenly rested upon his portmanteau, which had been deposited in his apartment during his sleep. The mysterious appearance of Alice in the cottage of the glen immediately rushed upon his mind, and he was about to secure and examine the packet which she had deposited among his clothes, when the servant of Colonel Stewart again made his appearance, and took up the portmanteau upon his shoulders. "'May I not take out a change of linen, my friend?' "'Your honour saw get ain o' the Colonel saying Rockville Sarks, but this mon gang in the baggage-cart.' And so saying, he very coolly carried off the portmanteau without waiting further remonstrance, leaving our hero in a state where disappointment and indignation struggled for the mastery. In a few minutes he heard a cart rumble out of the rugged courtyard, and made no doubt that he was now dispossessed, for a space at least, if not forever, of the only documents which seemed to promise some light upon the dubious events which had of late influenced his destiny. With such melancholy thoughts he had to beguile about four or five hours of solitude. When this space was elapsed, the trampling of horse was heard in the courtyard, and Colonel Stuart soon after made his appearance to request his guest to take some further refreshment before his departure. The offer was accepted, for a late breakfast had by no means left our hero incapable of doing honour to dinner, which was now presented. The conversation of his host was that of a plain country gentleman, mixed with some soldier-like sentiments and expressions. He cautiously avoided any reference to the military operations or civil politics of the time, and to Waverley's direct inquiries concerning some of these points replied that he was not at liberty to speak upon such topics. When dinner was finished, the governor arose, and wishing Edward a good journey, said that, having been informed by Waverley's servant that his baggage had been sent forward, he had taken the freedom to supply him with such changes of linen as he might find necessary, till he was again possessed of his own. With this compliment he disappeared. A servant acquainted Waverley an instant afterwards that his horse was ready. Upon this hint he descended into the courtyard, and found a trooper holding a saddled horse, on which he mounted and sallied from the portal of Dune Castle, attended by about a score of armed men on horseback. These had less the appearance of regular soldiers than of individuals who had suddenly assumed arms from some pressing motive of unexpected emergency. Their uniform, which was blue and red, an affected imitation of that of French chasseurs, was in many respects incomplete, and sate awkwardly upon those who wore it. Waverley's eye, accustomed to look at a well-disciplined regiment, could easily discover that the motions and habits of his escort 
were not those of trained soldiers and that although expert enough in the management of their horses their skill was that of huntsmen or grooms rather than of troopers the horses were not trained to the regular pace so necessary to execute simultaneous and combined movements and formations nor did they seem bitted as it is technically expressed for the use of the sword the men however were stout hardy-looking fellows and might be individually formidable as irregular cavalry the commander of this small party was mounted upon an excellent hunter and although dressed in uniform his change of apparel did not prevent waverley from recognizing his old acquaintance mr falconer of balmawhapple now although the terms upon which edward had parted with this gentleman were none of the most friendly he would have sacrificed every recollection of their foolish quarrel for the pleasure of enjoying once more the social intercourse of question and answer from which he had been so long secluded but apparently the remembrance of his defeat by the baron of bradwardine of which edward had been the unwilling cause still rankled in the mind of the low-bred and yet proud laird he carefully avoided giving the least sign of recognition riding doggedly at the head of his men who though scarce equal in numbers to a sergeant's party were denominated captain falconer's troop being preceded by a trumpet which sounded from time to time and a standard borne by cornet falconer the laird's younger brother the lieutenant an elderly man had much the air of a low sportsman and boon companion an expression of dry humour predominated in his countenance over features of a vulgar cast which indicated habitual intemperance his cocked hat was set not only upon one side of his country the conduct of the party the end of the journey and all other sublunary matters whatever from this white who now and then dropped alongside of his horse waverley hoped to gain some information or at least to beguile the way with talk a fine evening sir was edward's salutation ow oh, eh sir a brownate replied the lieutenant in broad scotch of the most vulgar description and a fine harvest apparently continued waverley following up his first attack ay the eights will be got bravely in but the farmers deal burst them and the corn mongers will make the gold price guide against them as, as horses to keep you perhaps act as quartermaster sir ay quartermaster riding master and lieutenant answered this officer of all work and to be sure has fitter to look after the breaking and the keeping of the poor beasts themselves that bought and sold every ain of them and pray sir if it be not too great a freedom may i beg to know where we are going just now a fool's errand i fear answered this communicative personage in that case said waverley determined not to spare civility i should have thought a person of your appearance would not have been found on the road very true very true sir replied the officer but every why has its wherefore ye mon ken the laird there brought all their beasts for me to mount his troop and agreed to pay for them according to the necessities and prices of the time but then he had another ready penny and i had been advised his bond would not be worth a boodle against the estate and then i had all my dealers to deal settle with at martinmas and so as he very kindly offered me his commission and as the all fifteen footnote the judges of the supreme court of session in scotland are proverbially termed among the country people the fifteen what never helped me to my cellar for sending out nags against the government why conscience sir i thought my best choice for payment was i ain't to gay out myself and ye may judge sir as i hae dealt all my life in halters i think my mickle puttin' in my clag and paddle of a st john's tone stippet you're not then by professional soldier said waverley na nah, na nah, thank god answered this doughty partisan 
I was not bred, I say, short a tether. I was brought up to hack and manger. I was a bred a coarse cooper, sir, and if you might live to see you at Whitsuntrist or at Staghouse Bank, or the winter fair at Harwick, and ye wanted a spanker that would leal the field, I'd be cautioned I would serve you easy, for Jamie Jinker was ne'er the lad to impose upon a gentleman. Ye're a gentleman, sir, to ken a horse's points. Ye see that through, gangin' thing that Balwhipple's on? I selled her till him. She was bred out of lick the ladle, that won the king's plate at Keverton Edge by Duke Hamilton's white foot, etc., etc., etc. But his jinker was entered full sail upon the pedigree of Wama Whipple's mare, having already got as far as great-grandsire and great-grandam, and while Waverley was watching for an opportunity to obtain from him intelligence of more interest, the noble captain checked his horse until they came up, and then, without directly appearing to notice Edward, said sternly to the genealogist, I thought, Lieutenant, my orders were precise, that no one should speak to the prisoner. The metamorphosed horse-dealer was silenced, of course, and slunk to the rear, where he consoled himself by entering into a vehement dispute upon the price of hay with a farmer who had reluctantly followed his laird to the field rather than give up his farm, whereof the lease had just expired. Waverley was therefore once more consigned to silence, foreseeing that further attempts at conversation with any of the party would only give Balma Wapple a wish-for opportunity to display the insolence of authority, and the sulky spite of a temper naturally dogged, and rendered more so by the habits of low indulgence and the incense of servile adulation. In about two hours' time the party were near the castle of Stirling, over whose battlements the Union flag was brightened as it waved in the evening sun. To shorten his journey, or perhaps to display his importance and insult the English garrison, Balmawapple, inclined to the right, took his route through the royal park, which reaches to and surrounds the rock upon which the fortress is situated. With a mind more at ease, Waverley could not have failed to admire the mixture of romance and beauty, which renders interesting the scene through which he was now passing. The field had been the scene of the tournaments of old, the rock from which the ladies beheld the contest, while each made vows for the success of some favorite knight, the towers of the Gothic church, where these vows might be paid, and surmounting all, the fortress itself, at once a castle and a palace, where valor received the prize from royalty, and knights and dames closed the evening amid the revelry of the dance, the song, and the feast. All these were objects fitted to arouse and interest a romantic imagination. But Waverley had other objects of meditation, and an incident soon occurred of a nature to disturb meditation of any kind. Balmawapple, in the pride of his heart, as he wheeled his little body of cavalry around the base of the castle, commanded his trumpet to sound a flourish and his standard to be displayed. This insult produced apparently some sensation, for when the cavalcade was at such a distance from the southern battery as to admit of a gun being depressed so as to bear upon them, a flash of fire issued from one of the embrasures upon the rock, and ere the report with which it was attended could be heard, the rushing sound of a cannonball passed over Balmawapple's head, and the bullet, burying itself in the ground at a few yards' distance, covered him with the earth which it drove up. There was no need to bid the party trudge. In fact, every man, acting upon the impulse of the moment, soon brought Mr. Jinker's steeds to show their mettle, and the cavaliers, retreating with more speed than regularity, never took to a trot, as the lieutenant afterwards observed, until an intervening eminence had secured them from any repetition of so undesirable a compliment on the part of Stirling Castle. I must do Balmawapple, however, the justice to say that he not only kept the rear of his troop, and labored to maintain some order among them, but in the height of his gallantry, 
answered the fire of the castle by discharging one of his horse pistols at the battlements although the distance being nearly half a mile i could never learn that this measure of retaliation was attended with any particular effect the travellers now passed the memorable field of bannockburn and reached the torwood a place glorious or terrible to the recollections of the scottish peasant as the feats of wallace or the cruelties of wood willie Graeme predominate in his recollection at falkirk a town formerly famous in scottish history and soon to be again distinguished as the scene of military events of importance balmawapple proposed to halt and repose for the evening this was performed with very little regard to military discipline his worthy quartermaster being chiefly solicitous to discover where the best brandy might be come at sentinels were deemed unnecessary and the only vigils performed were those of such of the party as could procure liquor a few resolute men might easily have cut off the detachment but of the inhabitants some were favorable many indifferent and the rest overawed so nothing memorable occurred in the course of the evening except that waverley's rest was sorely interrupted by the revellers hallooing forth the jacobite songs without remorse or mitigation of voice early in the morning they were again mounted and on the road to edinburgh though the pallid visages of some of the troop betrayed that they had spent a night of sleepless debauchery they halted at linlithgow distinguished by its ancient palace which sixty years since was entire and habitable and whose venerable ruins not quite sixty years since very narrowly escaped the unworthy fate of being converted into a barrack for french prisoners may repose and blessings attend the ashes of the patriotic statesman who among his last services to scotland interposed to prevent this profanation as they approached the metropolis of scotland through a champagne and cultivated country the sounds of war began to be heard the distant yet distinct report of heavy cannon fired at intervals apprised waverley that the work of destruction was going forward even balmawhapple seemed moved to take some precautions by sending an advance party in front of his troop keeping the main body in tolerable order and moving steadily forward marching in this manner they speedily reached an eminence from which they could view edinburgh stretching along the ridgy hill which slopes eastward from the castle the latter being in the state of siege or rather of blockade by the northern insurgents who had already occupied the town for two or three days fired at intervals upon such parties of highlanders as exposed themselves either on the main street or elsewhere in the vicinity of the fortress the morning being calm and fair the effect of this dropping fire was to invest the castle in wreaths of smoke the edges of which dissipated slowly in the air while the central veil was darkened ever and anon by fresh clouds poured forth from the battlements the whole giving by the partial concealment an appearance of grandeur and gloom rendered more terrific when waverley reflected on the cause by which it was produced and that each explosion might ring some brave man's knell ere they approached the city the partial cannonade had wholly ceased balmawhapple however having in his recollection the unfriendly greeting which his troop had received from the battery at stirling had apparently no wish to tempt the forbearance of the artillery of the castle he therefore left the direct road and sweeping considerably to the southward so as to keep out of the range of the cannon approached the ancient palace of holyrood without having entered the walls of the city he then drew up his men in front of that venerable pile and delivered waverley to the custody of a guard of highlanders whose officer conducted him into the interior of the building a long low and ill-proportioned gallery hung with pictures affirmed to be the portraits of kings who if they ever flourished at all 
lived several hundred years before the invention of painting in oil colors served as a sort of guard chamber or vestibule to the apartments which the adventurous charles edward now occupied in the palace of his ancestors officers both in the highland and lowland garb passed and repassed in haste or loitered in the hall as if waiting for orders secretaries were engaged in making out passes musters and returns all seemed busy and earnestly intent upon something of importance but waverley was suffered to remain seated in the recess of a window unnoticed by any one in anxious reflection upon the crisis of his fate which seemed now rapidly approaching End of chapter thirty nine